Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast. It's great to have you with us today and we hope that as you listen, you'll be inspired as we continue on our shared quest together. This podcast is entirely free and yet it's not cheap to put together and wouldn't be possible without the generosity of our supporters. So if you consider yourself a supporter of Q, then please head to qyork.co.uk and hit donate to show your support today because there really is no Q without you. Thank you and enjoy today's message. That um, clip that you saw is from a general release movie that's actually on a very Christian theme, which is uh, the movie is called Breakthrough, <clears throat> if, you, um, if you want to watch it. And um, that in line with what I want to say today, we, we came up with what I think is a, a, a great title, which is Honey, I Shrunk the Trinity. <laughs> If any of you have ever seen Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, well, today is all about Honey, I Shrunk the Trinity. <clears throat> so this, this, um, this movie that we saw starts out with a, with a breakthrough, but pr- probably not of the kind that, that you would actually prefer, because it's the young boy who, who breaks through the ice. You know, it's probably also he found the thin place on the ice, but probably not the kind of thin place that you would want to occur Uh, referring back to our talk of last week. But I'm not so much planning to talk to you uh, today about walking on thin ice and how to avoid falling through. As I am the question, what does it look like to live in the flow of faith? Because although the story is set up by somebody walking on thin ice and falling through thin ice and being at risk, which I'm sure is an experience Many of you will relate to to feeling that you're always walking on thin ice and feel that you've fallen through in life many times. But the real essence of how that journey is through is what does it look like to live in the flow of faith? And how might the understanding that I'm going to bring to you today help in that? You know, we said the other week, and, and, and I think it was very powerful for a lot of you, um, if no man can walk away from his own story then how can we walk within it, even cooperate with it to the extent that we have a sense of being in the flow of something great and something good? Now, you cannot do that without the full... You can't do that to the full extent without the acknowledgement of something present in creation and evidenced in the movie. And I would say without the involvement of spirit there's no possibility. Now, I don't know how well or how keen you are to um, or whether the Christian church has always conveyed fully what we mean by spirit. Uh, And I think sometimes in our, uh, our attempts to avoid the mystery and complications of that, we try to erase it from the story and make it be that in our humanist existence there is no such thing really as spirit. Uh, But I would strongly contend with that. I think spirit is very, very important in the context of life and flow. Now, Now, some may prefer to use the word consciousness. Now, the problem is when a pastor like me in a Christian church uses the word consciousness instead of spirit, 
Lots of people out there think that we've made the drift and we're now just new age and we no longer believe in God or the gospel or, or Christ and the Bible. That is not actually true. That's stupidity and foolishness because consciousness and spirit are so closely connected. And our problem is we have made spirit so human that then we can't understand spirit as consciousness because we made spirit, even the Holy Spirit in Christian context, we made a person. An anthropomorphized reaction or, or, or revelation of who God is and we saw it as a humanly conceived thing rather than spirit, rather than consciousness which is more to do with inner and mind. But in essence, they are the same thing. See, the truth is, and we even know this from quantum, quantum physics, that life is more than just the clumping of cells together in observable form. But we live as though it isn't. We, we live as though life is actually just a clumping of cells together in observable form, i.e. me and you and stuff and what happens. And, and in doing that, we limit ourselves to the point where we have no solution to walking on thin ice. We have no solution to falling through thin ice. We have no real solution to ourselves and the issues of life that we face. See, life is more than just matter with movement. And this awareness is expressed in, in Christianity in something known as the Trinity, or you might call it the Holy Trinity. Some of you might call it Wakefield Trinity, I don't know. Which I always wondered why Wakefield Trinity was Wakefield Trinity, whether they have some secret ingredient of God's presence. But being a rugby league fan, when you watch that, you realize that can't possibly be true. So, so many of us, and most of you, I think, will be familiar at least with the term Trinity. Anglican churches that are called Holy Trinity, like Holy Trinity on Micklegate. But th this thing, with all its importance, is never actually specified by name anywhere in the whole of the Bible, which is interesting because people will hammer up people like us when they hear what we have to say and say, well, where is that in the Bible and where does the Bible say? Well, the Bible never actually talks about the Holy Trinity, it is a construct to help us try and understand the principle of which it is true, but the truth is, though it's importance, it's never actually specified by name anywhere in the whole of the Bible. Yet within its resident truth lies the most critical understanding for engaging life in the flow. See, in direct opposition to this is a way of seeing the world known as dualism, okay? Get that, get that term, dualism, now, of course, duo meaning two, dualism. Dualism's greatest impact on the development of Christianity has been to cause it to become a religion of nouns, not verbs. See, a noun is a name. A verb is an action. And suddenly we were fighting over nouns, we were fighting over names and definitions and doctrines and what we called beliefs, rather than actually concerning ourselves with the verbality of Christianity, which is a movement, which is a momentum, which is a flow. And so duality turned it into a religion of nouns and not verbs, even we turn God into a noun and not a verb. 
We made God static and we named him, but we didn't allow him to be an essence that fills all things because we really couldn't conceive that beyond our own understanding of empirical thinking. So now God has to be the emperor of an empire. See, why, why did dualism cause this to become a religion of nouns and not verbs? Because it reduces and divides everything into categories of competing opposites. Right or wrong. Good or evil. Either or. In, out. Like, dislike. Us, them. Win, lose. Reward, punishment. And we cap that off in Christian doctrine by heaven, hell. But you see, what it becomes is always a competition of opposites. So there is no flow, there's just a fight. There's a competition. Who's right, who's wrong? What's good and what's evil? Is it this or is it that? Are they in or are they out? And it caused a problem which has distorted our understanding of what should be a dynamic faith. In Christian terms, where the root of our understanding comes from, if you read it correctly in this, which many don't, is from Genesis chapter 2 when it gives the Bible version trying to explain what are the component parts that we must understand about humanity and our relation to, relationship to creation it says that the, 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 the creation man was told you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat of it, you will surely die. That was not beginning to define what we would call sin within the first events of the Bible. It was trying to tell us that dualism will kill you. If you base your life on right and wrong, Good and evil, there will always be one outcome. You will kill somebody, they might kill you, and you will probably kill yourself. Because by the definition, if we believe God said that, it's if you eat from that tree, if that's where you live, in right and wrong, good and evil, you will surely die. And so it's a death thing, not a life thing, when we live in that arena called dualism. It cannot honestly... Living in dualism cannot honestly see the God of everything, everywhere, and every when. Which I call everything, the object, everywhere, the location, everywhere, the time. It does not allow you to see God in every object, in every location, at all times. And that may not cause us to lose the presence. And if you read the... The, the Genesis story, it actually doesn't, but it causes us to lose the consciousness. First of all, of who we really are. And secondly, then, of what we are part of. And thirdly, through how that all flows together. See, it also made us think of God as a noun rather than a verb, to, a noun to be defined rather than a verb to be lived. And the accumulations of that belief rooted in what, what, what we talked about the other day. It gave us, you start with perfection, you introduce man, and then you have a fall. 
And that is the model that is opposed to the real one, which is you start with good, read the words, you introduce man, and then you grow. And you grow in the flow of faith. So the point I'm trying to make is that dualism leaves no room for spirit's presence. So if we live in the dimension of dualistic thinking, we actually have no room for the spirit's presence. Dualistic thinking produces more obstacles to the flow of faith than probably any other thing. And the doctrine of Trinity is the antidote to the destructiveness of dualism. And that's why we want to talk today to not do it about only I shrunk the Trinity. We don't want to shrink the Trinity. Now one thing highlighted in uh, and true in the video clip that we watched is that hearing the voice is not dependent on belief. It's the thin place, a moment of consciousness. The guy who was in the water looking for the boy who heard the words go back, and this is a true story, weren't given by the chief, but he was hearing a voice, the spirit voice, the conscious voice, talking to him and instructing him in something, and yet he says, I have a huge problem, I don't believe in God. Which says to me that the consciousness that you receive when you embrace a realm of spirit is not dependent on the essence of what it is that you believe, but will lead you through faith to make your belief work with what it is that you have received. Because he said, I don't believe. But I don't believe, for any of you today, if you're struggling, is not a barrier to the flow of spirit. Because that flow is not discriminatory or exclusive in its essence, but it comes to all of us. I would have been most of my life right where that mum was in this clip. Um, Semi-aggressively pursuing a course of action that I believe was the only way to address the situation I was facing and turn it around. But by the time we get to the end of that little clip, we, we get to the root of the mum's resistance. There's always a root to, to, to our actions and beliefs. <clears throat> and, and the root of this mum's aggressive, overbearing focus on positivity is a reaction to her own story and what that's embedded deep within her being. It leaves her thinking, if I do the right things, if I control everything, I can fix this. Some of you are right there. Some of you listening online are right there, and you have positivity masquerading as faith, and it's not faith, it's your attempt to control, and you think, if I just ignore the bad and speak the good, somehow what I'm speaking will be the outcome and reality. That is not flow, that is not spirit, that's dualism. The right versus wrong, this versus that, the either or. But I do understand for all of you, me included, our, our story affects our actions, and beliefs. Some of you struggle to deal with your beliefs and, and find it very uncomfortable when they are challenged because those beliefs have rooted out of your story and your actions will go along with the beliefs, but that doesn't make them right because they came out of our story, because maybe our story is one that needs to be rewritten. <clears throat> and see, the problem is the way our story affects our actions and beliefs, that story can drive us away from yielding to possibly the greatest thing in the universe. 
And yielding is a lovely principle that we quite like, and you'll hear it quite a lot in church, but we're not very good at it. And really, we don't, we like it as a noun, yielding, the noun yielding, we don't like it as a verb. Because verb means you actually yield rather than talk about yielding. So anybody know what perichoresis is? It's not a it's not a byproduct of COVID nineteen. It's not it's not a disease that you can get treated by the doctor. Perichoresis is a Greek word that was used by people earlier than us, more ancient fathers in, in, in the faith, who who used it to try and explain what they meant by the function of the Trinity. Seeing as they didn't have a verse that says this is the Trinity, they tried to explain the function of the Trinity. And, and perichoresis was explaining it in a certain way. Peri meaning around and choresis meaning together or interconnected. Now, now can you see where the word choreograph comes from? The word choreograph comes from the Greek word Choresis, it's a choreography. So the reason they used the word perichoresis was because they were saying the best way to explain how, how Trinity works and how you work within Trinity is a sacred dance. That was the best way they could explain it. It's a circle dance. It's an interconnectedness. It's a togetherness that they said, well, if you want to understand what Trinity is, not just in the context of how we see Father, Son, Spirit, but how we see us in the context of Trinity, because isn't it interesting that we had described to us that we are body, soul, spirit? But sadly, this idea has been reduced to relationship between things rather than mutually shared being. So rather than seeing it as a whole flowing dance of togetherness and connectedness, we turned it into things. And we're still obsessed with things. Where does God the Father figure in this? Where does Jesus the Son figure in this? How does the Spirit figure in this? And so our belief system categorizes them into things... And we lose that togetherness. And we have to say, honey, I shrunk the Trinity. And, and by mutually shared being, I don't mean being as in the same creature, but as one essence, one presence, one energy. We are supposed to see Trinity as one essence, one energy that is a flow that also is part of who we are, which I'll show you in a minute. It's interesting again, I find the Bible more fascinating now than I ever did because as I tried to walk out of my story that determined even how I interpreted the Bible, I begin to see things that I never saw. And right at the beginning, when the ancients were trying to convey something to us about our very uh, presence here and the context of the world and, uh, and spirituality and the divine, they wrote these words, then God said, let us... Make man in our image. You've got the plurality right there at the beginning. Let us make man in our image and our likeness. But it's, it's the same image and it's the same likeness. And then in verse 7 of chapter 2, you have the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now that word for breath is the Hebrew word ruach. It's the Greek word pneuma. It's the English translation spirit that brought life. 
See, this whole thing is more about substance than subject. And because of our duality, we've got tied up in subjects. So I say to you again, we made God a noun to be defined rather than a verb to be lived. Now, what I want you to know is this is the good news. Before you were born, you joined this dance. And even the evidence when you, as a little uh, fetus becoming a human being in your mother's womb started, you were responding to beats and sounds and voice and, and you were hearing and things were going on and it didn't all just begun the day you became not a water creature but an air-breathing creature. It didn't all begin then, it had already begun. I, I would say from the very essence of your foundation, you have been involved in this dance. The problem is, at some point we found ourselves, because of our obsession with dualistic thinking and being com confined to our own story, we find ourselves performing a survival dance rather than engaging in the sacred dance. And so has been much of our lives. Engaged in a survival dance... Or performing a survival dance is a better word. Performing. We're good at performing, aren't we? Performing a survival dance. What was that mama doing in that video when she was climbing all over everybody because their belief didn't come, coin, co coincide with her belief? Survival dance. It's been happening since she was young. I gave up my first child at 18. There's a root of the pain. Ever since I've been trying to control. What does it mean? Every manifestation, even the ones that looked oh so spiritual, were an expression of the survival dance. See, the survival dance draws its energy from the beliefs and judgments of dualism. I've got to do what's right. I've got to fix it. They're wrong. They should shut up. If they don't stop saying this, well, I'm saying that, they're going to kill my son and my son won't live. And all that stuff going on means that the survival dance draws its energy from beliefs and judgments of dualism. We'll fight our corner and we'll climb on everybody and anybody. But the sacred dance draws its energy from the confidence of mutually shared being and the flowing of a spirit of faith. Let us make man in our image means that you have a mutually shared being with the Creator. Not a separately made existence, but a mutually shared being. Our reaction to fear is a great revealer as to which dance we are participants in. Our rigid dualistic beliefs masquerade as faith in reaction to fear out of a desperation for certainty and for control. And it stops us surrendering to flow and our mutually shared being with and in God. Maybe you're there today. And that always manifests as the survival dance, not the sacred dance. There's also a subtle egotistical root here that believes you are capable of taking control, not just in everything, but of everything. And she said, he's only alive because of me. Really? 
So this great essence, this great source of all life that we know as God could only play a part because of her shutting some people up about what they thought and promoting what she thought. And so she begins to spit it all out, puke it all up at the end. I've sought to control everything since that day. I've sought to be in control. I've sought to manipulate the outcome. And now she finds herself needy because she realizes with all the perceived spirituality, she's been performing a survival dance, not yielding into the sacred dance. See, Spirit gives the vital third leg of what is a three-legged stool. That's one of the best ways I can understand it. I, can't, I haven't got a good word like perichoresis. But if you think of the three, Trinity is about three. Father, Son, Spirit. Body, Soul, Spirit. However you want to put it. If you think of it, it's drawing the picture of a three-legged stool. And guess what? Two-legged stools are not very easy to sit on. You have to deliberately try to balance, but you're always precariously on the edge. But once you brought the third leg onto the stool, you find the stool that was precarious and unstable has now become extremely stable, and now you can milk the cow. See, living without the consciousness of spirit and entering into that mutually shared being is like attempting to sit comfortably and stay balanced on a two-legged stool. The Bible's description of the creation work has spirit as part of a union which expresses it as being, it's interesting, it says, and the spirit hovered over, I like this word as well, over the chaos. Hovered, well, the, what, there's chaos, yeah? See, this whole thing wasn't about stopping the sun falling through the ice, and this whole thing is not about fixing every problem or preventing every disaster, but it's about the flow in our lives that comes in in the midst of all that as well. And it says the Spirit was hovering. Now, if, if you know the very ancient root of that Hebrew word that we translate as hovering, the actual image is of a brooding hen who covers her chicks and her eggs with the wings in order to bring them to the point of manifest life. That's what spirit presence does for us. It's the brooding that covers the eggs, that hatches the chicks, that brings us to the manifestation of life. Maybe the need to control along with the anger and resentment that goes with it are the great giveaways in us that we are, we are in the survival dance. We are performing the survival dance. She said, I've never stopped trying to control the outcome. But suddenly the penny drops and she says, but I can't control this, can I? Okay, as we walk this to some kind of uh, conclusion for this morning, um, um, let me pull a few strings together. The, there are two interesting conclusions John, drawn by the spiritual journeyman that we know as Paul the Apostle. And one of them is this, it's found in 1 Corinthians 13, that when you strip away everything that's just stuff, only three things remain. 
And most of life is just stuff. It's not all pleasant, it's not all unpleasant. But it is stuff, and while ever we're focused on the stuff, we miss the point, and when we miss the point, we miss our becoming who we are in that perichoresis, that sacred dance. And Paul said only these things, three things matter when you strip away what's just stuff, and that's faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. It goes the other way around, actually, love, hope, and faith. But isn't it interesting? There's a trinity, sacred dance, faith, hope, love. Faith, hope, love. Not reaction, control, manipulation. Faith, hope, love. Not even prayers, statements of positivity and fasting. It says these are what remain. Faith, hope, love. Now, many other actions and practices may be okay and may be not okay and may be okay for you, so don't dump them on everybody else. But when you strip away everything that's just stuff, really only three things matter. Faith, hope, love. Love, hope, faith. And that sprung out of an earlier word of wisdom that we read in the New Testament in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. Where he says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Now, as Chris rightly tells me, most people, that's irrelevant to them, and it is. But what I'm wanting you to see is the argument was, are you this or are you that? Have you had that done to you or have you not had that done to you? Do you do it this way or do you do it that way? How do you practice church? How do you not practice church? What's the thing that saves you? What's the thing that doesn't save you? Same thing, but in Jewish language, he just said, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value those arguments are only a reaction to not the dance of I've lost my word uh, yeah to not the dance the sacred dance but the survival dance because he goes on to say this the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's the flow. And I wanted to say this as a result of that. You cannot manipulate a miracle, but you can submit to a flow. And that's really what the sacred dance is about. We spend far too much time trying to manipulate a miracle and you can't. She said, I can't control it, can I? No, you can't. You can give yourself the impression that you can. But at the end of the day, for the whole thing to flow and work within the context of that wonderful dance and the flow of faith and spirit, you have to understand you cannot manipulate a miracle, but you can submit to a flow. And that flow is the flow of spirit. And that spirit is the one we talked about. Not a thing to be defined, but a verb to be lived that comes out of the oneness, the beingness, the connectedness, the knowing that we are one with all things. And that's real trinity. You're part of the trinity. See, if you do that, what will happen is that that itself, that essence, that flow, that place will, will embrace within it everything, everywhere, and every when. So there'll be nothing in your life that doesn't flow and fall into that wonderful dance, that, that, that sacred dance and, and the connectedness and what flows out of that because object, location, and time will all lose significance into this greater thing. And so I was thinking, how many of you have heard the term holy, holy, holy? How many of you were raised singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty? 
And some of you will be familiar in the verse from Isaiah, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I think that's really scary. It's certainly scary when I put it through the filter of my story because the idea of this holy God being what they tried to convey to me by those words, holy, holy, separated me from the sacred dance, forced me into the survival dance because I was always then trying to fix the problem and therefore trying to control it by words, by statements, by prayers, by actions, by liturgies because I didn't know how to just flow because I was already in the dance and it was now yielding to what was one essence, he in me and I in him, and all together. And so I rephrase that for you. Holy, 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 heard through the dualistic mind is a scary prospect. But how about this? Holy, H-O-L-Y, set apart. That's what it means. Holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, completely. Holy, H-O-L-E-Y, meaning full of holes. So your prayer should be holy, holy, holy. Holy, H-O-L-Y, set apart because you are, you're in the dance. Holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, because it's completely and holy, H-O-L-E-Y, full of holes. You should be set apart completely full of holes. That's holy, 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 set apart, completely full of holes. I want you to be completely full of holes because being full of holes means all the rigidity is gone and the flow that comes in you flows out of you in the same way the flow in the Father flows out, the flow in the Son flows out, the flow in the Spirit flows out. They all intermingle because they are one and inseparable and connected and you are one with that same thing. And when you understand and yield to this, you become holy. Holy, 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 set apart, completely full of holes. And the flow happens. Yesterday is not ours to recover, but tomorrow is ours to win or lose. Incidentally, John is a real person. And the story in the movie is true to life. And he lived without brain damage. Later on in the movie, you see them as they give thanks to all the people. But it's interesting we didn't show this clip, but the pastor, who was the guy who was talking to the lady at the end of that second clip, he asked everybody to stand who, who was, was a first responder, a police, uh, the hospital, the, who prayed. And by the time he's finished, everybody stood. And he tried to show them, you see, this is the flow of all, not an exclusive thing, an inclusive thing, in which when we are holy, 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 set apart completely full of holes, the flow of the Spirit brings us into the sacred dance. And the sacred dance becomes the antidote to the destruction of our dualism. So let me finish here. The song that they were singing, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call. Let me just run a few of the words from that as we close it. 
you call me out upon the waters. I hear a different thing to that than the people who wrote it because I know I interpret this song way different to the people who wrote the song. I would put, you call me, comma, out upon the waters. That's where our story started. You call me, the voice, out upon the waters, the great unknown, where feet may fail. And there I find you in the mystery. In oceans deep, my faith will stand. My soul will rest in your embrace. And this is it, for I am yours, and you are mine, and we are one. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me, for I am yours. And you are mine. That's our prayer this morning. One essence, one being, one flow, one spirit, one dance. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel? Just go to youtube.com forward slash Q Church York. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest.